You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognize that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepker. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, coming up on today's programme, we'll be joined by Middlesbrough's Labour MP Andy MacDonald and we'll discuss online freedom of speech with Matthew Lesh from the Institute of Economic Affairs. Well, more than two years since the Conservatives pledged to unite and level up this country, Michael Gove is unveiling the government's flagship levelling up white paper today. The key measures include creating more local mayors, boosting public investment outside of the southeast of England and regenerating town centres. Gove, the levelling up minister, insists that the Tories are making good on their promise to spread opportunity more equally across the UK. There have been mistakes made by parties of both colours. And one of the things in the past is there have been sincere and uh, committed attempts by politicians left and right to deal with this, but nothing as comprehensive or as long-term as the plan that we're setting out today. Well, Boris Johnson's latest effort to get the public's, public's attention back to policy has been somewhat drowned out by yet more details on the Downing Street parties under police investigation. And senior Tory MP and Bloomberg Westminster regular Tobias Elwood's become the latest to say that he will be submitting a letter of no confidence in the Prime Minister, warning the party is, quote, slipping into an ugly place. The government's also facing criticism after writing off more than eight and a half billion pounds spent on PPE for the NHS during the pandemic, some of which was found to be unusable. Okay, let's go back to the big story today, then levelling up. If the government has found it hard to explain the vote winning idea, it could be even harder to deliver. Joining us now is Andy MacDonald, who is Labour MP for Middlesbrough. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, look, firstly, the government puts it this way. It's a system change, the biggest shift in power from Whitehall to local leaders in modern times. It's more devolution. I bet you welcome that. Oh, I always welcome devolution, but with devolution must come accountability and transparency. I just see that in my own area, um, where often things are, are hidden from public gaze. And we want more power uh, to our nations and our regions, but it's got to be accountable. It's got to be meaningful as well. It's got to actually achieve the things that it's setting out to, to do. Um, and the jury's out as to whether this actually addresses it. I mean, effectively, Caroline, I mean, this is... 
this this white paper from from Michael Gove is just a recital recital of what government should do. And, you know, the whole concept of levelling up, if you think about it, the Tories have been in power for over 10 years. Why is levelling up needed, I ask myself? And and their uh, record is one of failure. If, but but it's decades should... and hundreds of years of, of kind of geographically oh, based inequality. That. So, you know, there's yeah. that argument. But also, just Andy, clarify for me, what do you mean by accountable, accountability? Well, you've got to be careful with... Um, I've got experience of this in, in my... The, the ben Ouchin is the Tees Valley Combined Authority Mayor. And it, 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 it's all well and good having the powers. And I wish he'd use some of them, by the way, the one on the... Uh, bus services. You've got the bus services to create a London-style bus service, but he, he doesn't do it. But where he, mayors have got the ability to create arm's-length companies and put them at reach, beyond the reach of the public gaze by Freedom of Information Act and so on and so forth, and they can uh, come to agreements on a commercial basis, and that is beyond our gaze. That worries me. Public okay. money has to be used wisely, it's got to be transparent. It's got to be accountable. Well, ben, ben Houchin would say that he's uh, trying to get more jobs into the uh, into the area. Uh, interesting in the white paper, plenty of goals. For, good plenty job. of goals for twenty thirty on employment, on productivity, education, and transport. Surely it's important to set targets for these things, so at least the government has something something to reach for. You must you must welcome that. I do. I think you know, and, and, I, and I'm not um, being critical of setting long-term ambitions that's the right thing to do and having those aspirations but it's got to be followed up with a plan it's got to be followed up with money and the reality is that there is no new money behind this program and and i've got to say that you know it, it, as this is unfolding there's many commentators identifying that this is a copy and paste job uh, from 2017 from the industrial strategy and elisa nandy this morning has spoken eloquently saying some of this goes back to to 2009 uh, under Gordon Brown. So uh, it's a bit of a rehash, but nevertheless, as Caroline quite rightly pointed out, some of these things have been with us for uh, decades and longer, and we've got to address them. So I'm content with setting out long-term ambitions, and I would would, uh, share common purpose with Michael Gove about that. It's just delivery that counts, because at the end of the day, unless we end up with people um, living good, dignified and flourishing lives, and redistributing wealth, I'm afraid this will have failed. Um, in terms of the money then, um, on that point, the the money that was spread uh, through the pandemic that, that was given by the Treasury, do we even know really what sort of money would work in terms of towns like yours, like Middlesbrough, and constituencies like yours? Because the NAO says that the government hasn't really tracked how the money was spent and whether it's whether these interventions have actually been effective or not. So, you know, this is often obviously a cry for, from nations and regions. They want more money, but we don't actually really always know what interventions will bring the results we want. Well, I think we were we were grateful that we had an intervention around furlough, and I'm grateful for the work sure. the trade union movement did around that. That was uh, did keep people's head above water. Well, I think what pains me is to hear that you know we've got 8.5 billion wasted on PPE that's, that's trash now, and 4.7 billion wasted on uh, on fraud. I mean, it wasn't just wasted; it was illegally taken from us. And this carelessness and poor stewardship. It's just appalling when the need is so great. Um, I can point to any area of, of, of public life 
um, in, in, in the NHS itself, where we've got very significant and serious problems, these sorts of monies would have been so welcome uh, to an area like mine. Um, there's so much to do, and yet this government seems to be intent on wasting and turning a blight to criminality. Um, they could start by cutting down the waste and making sure that they don't enter into criminal uh, or, or allow criminal behaviour to flourish. Did uh, did Labour level up Middlesbrough in the North East in its 13 years in power? We were better off. We were we were in a, an infinitely healthier uh, state. I'm just so um, uh, upset that the funding that were, was coming our way uh, in 2010 was just immediately cut by David Cameron. Uh, that was the Neighbourhood Renewal Fund was just wiped out as a stroke. Uh, but there was a buzz about the place, and we were, uh, and there was a, 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 a much more optimistic feel. I'm afraid that's gone now, and we didn't have the levels of employment, impoverishment, and marginalisation that we currently have. Uh, and I'd welcome you to you to, to Middlesbrough and see what what I'm talking about, so you can mm. assess it for yourselves, because it it, it is not. Um, a, a, a healthy or an optimistic picture at the moment, and people are doing their very best to turn it around, but it, it, it's hard work up against this environment. Okay, this is a moving story. Uh, we know that the energy price cap um, it was going to be the there was going to be an announcement on how much bills would go up by soon, and the Mirror now reporting that that announcement will come tomorrow, so that it will mean a, a very significant increase in bills for 22 million households, at least according to the Mirror. Um, mm. But that the Chancellor will actually give 200 pound rebates to households across the country. What would you like the government to do in order to alleviate? you know that the energy crisis for households well, well let's welcome that 200 pound rebate but opposite rises of 1000 pounds and more it's not really going to put much of a dent in it um i think our plans for uh using an oil and gas um uh, a surcharge uh a levy t- that would have a windfall tax would have helped us a great deal and gone a little bit further towards uh, attacking that huge hike in in bills but this is really the sorry tale of the a failure to manage the market, allowing our storage systems to go by the by, and failing to invest in in insulation in our properties. We should have been doing this for years and reducing those bills and investing much more heavily uh, in renewable industries. We're, we're, we're coming to it now, but we're still lagging behind some of our uh, European friends, and we should, be, we should be cracking on with this at pace. That's going to make the difference. But some of our housing stock is just dreadful people are living in in in, in, in cramped and and unfit uh, conditions to this day uh, and it's an absolute stain on on our society that we still have that level of, uh, of accommodation for so many of our citizens it has to change but th- these require very fundamental approaches mm-hmm. to these huge issues around not only the market but the sort of supply and generation of power uh, heat and electricity to our homes and and it's an enormous mm-hmm. task but we've got to get on with it Andy, I see Middlesbrough has been shortlisted to be awarded city status for the Queen's uh, mm. Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Uh, just give us a lot of competition for this. Just give us the pitch. Yeah. Well, the, the, the pitch is that, you know, we are a very significant um, uh, centre in the, the Tees Valley. We're the heart, heart of the Tees Valley region, and it's a, a conurbation of 660,000. I've just successfully secured a, a direct uh, train link between Middlesbrough and, and King's Cross. That's a, an important... Uh, uh, item for us to be able to grow our economy, build our economy. We're very proud 
town. We behave like a, a city, and it's we've made this application time after time. And there's a number of places, Colchester and Milton Keynes, and I've joined forces with those places in, in, in making a joint application saying, in this special year of the Platinum Jubilee, let's uh, make that award to the three places in England that have consistently made the application. We all have ambition and we should be recognised in that way and given that status. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. Of that, we're joined by Bloomberg's James Walcock, fresh back from a meeting with a senior uh, feline official at Downing Street. Now, uh, James, uh, you've been uh, taking, taking the mood, taking the temperature at Downing Street, not least with this uh, feline official. Just tell us um, about uh, what's going on in, in government. Now, the, the government desperately trying to get things back on track with a series of announcements. How, how, how is it going? I mean, for listeners, the envy in Ewan Potts's voice at me meeting Larry the Cat <laughs> on the Downing Street. Uh, you've probably just seen the photo on my Twitter. Like. However, let's get into the actual politics of it. This is Operation Save Big Dog is at the vets. Like, put it that way. We are seeing so much policy from Johnson's government in this week, from the second anniversary of Brexit, putting in place UK sort of laws from sort of EU ones, the trip to Ukraine yesterday, the big long promised levelling up policies like it's set to be announced by Michael Gove later today and today in the Times we're also hearing there may even be announcements on how to deal with the energy crisis. This is everything Tory MPs have said they want from Johnson. However also today even today we can see some of the issues that are still nagging his campaign to save his career. Even Two more parties, one apparently that Johnson may have attended seeing scoops in the press. We're still awaiting news on the Mets but that's going to still continue hanging over, uh, hanging over him. We're still hearing more about sort of the issues of fraud with the various COVID loans. And we're also, to come back to the levelling up issue with Michael Gove, seeing increasing reports of how that's going to be sort of handled and how, in some ways, the Conservatives' own policies of austerity are leading to these policies of levelling up. So 
today, I think, is as we sort of have PMQs, as Kitastama looks to take Johnson to task, it's just good to take a look at both even though in the sort of sheer amount that Downing Street are trying to put out, the same issues are still haunting Boris Johnson. Absolutely. We're being deluged by policy. I mean, this in a sort of space of three days. Um, I've also got this uh, idea, Mumsnet. Why are you, James, so interested in Mumsnet? I mean, it's not my (laughs) site. It's not my exact target demographic. However, it's really interesting as a snapshot of the nation. And polling... Polls change all the time, Caroline. And polls also can be very short-term. You get polls that sort of react to an impulse in the mood. Perfect example, polls after Barnard Castle uh, with Dominic Cummings' sort of big scandal were Mm -hmm. terrible for the Prime Minister. One year later, with the vaccine rollout, and the government saw a completely different picture. So things can change, and they may change before the next general election. However, what this poll from Mumsnet says is 84% of users say he should resign. I've got another poll out this morning from JL Partners, which says 36 percent of the British public think we should all now move on from the Downing Street scandal. 56% say the investigation should continue. And I think what the government must be really worried about seeing these polls is that that may fade, but the communities Johnson built his electoral success on, mm-hmm. the Red Wall, sort of working families, people who wanted Brexit done, they seem to be taking the message that sort of something fundamental has changed in the way they sort of look, look at Johnson. And to that JLR Partners poll, 82% think Johnson broke the rules. This idea of a rule-breaking PM and someone who they think should step down may not fade, even if the short-term Conservatives sort of slump in the polls does. Yeah, it's such a massive website that uh, no politician can afford to ignore. Uh, I read on Politico that, uh, that some of the words most frequently associated with Boris Johnson in the past month, uh, according to Mumsnet, are party, rules and cake. Probably How not, often uh, do you get cake associated probably with not the three words you want associated with you as uh, Prime Minister. I'd love cake to be associated with me as a Prime Minister, <laughs> just not with the context. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. indeed. Okay. <laughs> James Walcott, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, lovely. Very interesting on today's news, yeah, including Larry the Cat. Right, let's move on and talk about the internet. Should more be done to crack down on harmful or offensive behaviour on social media or elsewhere online? That is one of the aims of the government's draft online safety bill published last year. Yeah, it puts a duty of care on large social websites to remove harmful or illegal content and to protect children. But a report out today says the government's plans are a significant threat to freedom of speech, privacy and innovation. Well, joining us now is one of the authors of the report, Matthew Lesh. He's head of public policy at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. The government says that there are stringent rules in place to protect people's freedom of speech and and privacy. What are your concerns about this? Look, what I'm really worried about here are the unintended consequences of this legislation. Now, not only is the government creating a, a duty of care on companies when it comes to unlawful content or content that they might have a reasonable grounds to believe is unlawful, they're also creating a duty, particularly for larger companies, to protect users from what they call legal but harmful speech. And then they're going to empower the Secretary of State and Ofcom to really define what that means. Now, if companies fail on that duty, they could be fined billions of pounds. So what we've seen previously with legislation like this in other jurisdictions, for example, in uh, Germany's net GZ law, is that in order to comply with the law, companies become quite censorious. They use automated systems. They turn them up to full blast to remove speech that could theoretically lead them into legal trouble and lead them into fines. So Mm -hmm. things like comedy, um, discussions about controversial issues, let's say trans rights being an example here. Um, Those conversations are going to be much harder 
if, if so-called legal but harmful duties are placed on these companies. Okay, but surely those concerns are simply outweighed, Matthew, by, um, you know, not unintended consequences, but the actual current consequences of a sort of unfettered internet. I mean, hate speech, misogyny, pornography, child abuse images, financial scams, the whole gamut. I mean, that is the problem. And the tide is against you here, surely, in public opinion. Look, I, I think those are no doubt really serious issues that, that require a, a good policy response. And, and um, it's, of course, important to note here that anything that is unlawful offline is already unlawful online. It's a question of enforcement, ensuring police have the proper resources to go after serious crime and, and serious incidents, um, and ensuring the systems are well set up. And I, I don't think the social media sites or the existing platforms have done a particularly good job here. But I don't mm. think the solution to those serious issues is for the government to create a whole new censorship regime. I think we can really focus down on the unlawful and the serious crime and do that much better rather than trying to do legal but harmful speech. We can have a much more focused regime, um, unlike the one the government's proposing, which is extremely broad. So you accept there is a problem, but would you like to see these plans scrapped altogether or how would you go about tackling them? Look, I do think the plans need some serious reforms. I, ideally, I'd like to particularly see that, that uh, focused on unlawful content and, and things like resourcing the police a bit better. But also what was said in our report today is if the government isn't willing to scrap it, we'd like to see much better scrutiny about the way Ofcom operates, about the way the Secretary of State operates. We're calling for an independent reviewer into the online safety legislation, kind of the same way as there's already an independent reviewer for terrorism legislation to make sure that um, our rights aren't trampled on when this kind of grand new regime of, of online content control comes into force. But I think one of the issues the government's also trying to address is is the difficulty of actually getting change um, and imposing change in what are largely US-based often uh, large corporations. So, I mean, I think it's a response to that too. But, but you're concerned about actually the threat to tech innovation here. Why? I think this is a serious issue. I mean, you, you know, you're talking a little bit about Mumsnet. So although when we sure. think about tech, we think about the, the, the Facebooks and Twitters and Googles, you know, this, there are tens of thousands of companies in the UK that this is going to apply to, and it's created a huge regulatory burden on these smaller businesses. Um, and we know that when the government regulates to such a great extent, um, it decreases investment in other alternative um, companies. It, it's really creates barriers to entry. And um, there are all these safety assessment requirements. Before a company is even going to be able to operate in the future in the UK, you have to do all sorts of different kinds of safety assessments. Who knows what that's going to have to say? But you're adding costs, you're adding burdens um, that can discourage startups, discourage businesses from operating. And it ultimately could actually help the big tech companies just because they have the resources and the capacity to deal with all the regulations. Well, the government says its online safety bill is, is setting a, a gold standard for internet safety. It's certainly a, an approach which it, it thinks is, is world-leading. Do you think there are better examples around the world of, of how countries are regulating tech? Look, I, I mean, I, I find it a bit laughable when the government says they want, um, you know, world, world standards, good standards here. I mean, if, if you want to talk about safety, I mean, it's a, bit, it's a bit glib to say, but, you know, if you really want to make sure the internet is safe, you can look to China or you can look to Russia, you can look to all these authoritarian countries that undertake extraordinary amounts of censorship. And maybe that's a way to make the internet perfectly safe. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of part of the flaw here. I don't think any country's really gotten this perfect. I think it is, is very difficult. I'm not sure there are simple solutions. There's a bit of an assumption, which is if you pass this new law, if you create this duty of care, everything will suddenly get better overnight. But I don't think that's going to be the case. We're going to be disappointed by the results here. That's just because this is a really difficult area. There's millions and millions of pieces of content mm. every single minute online. And it's really hard to work out 
what of those is unlawful, what of those is not allowed under terms and conditions on various sites. And ensuring good processes behind that is something that's quite difficult. Um, and the companies are, I suppose, trying to figure out. But there's, there's no, there's no, doesn't need to be good solutions here or a, well, a really perfect way to do this. I think that's interesting, though. But the whole agenda of kind of the internet freedom agenda, the, the idea sort of espoused by the US was that it would only cut one way. Free flowing information would just lead to open societies. But that's not really what, what's happened. I mean, you've got a kind of information war now, largely. We, I mean, obviously you do have serious issues of, you know, people kind of combating and I think you can have a serious issue around people being in certain filter bubbles and seeking information that agrees with their pre-existing biases and, and all sorts of all sorts of issues. I think, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm we're still relatively positive about things. I don't think everything's positive about things yet, but it has provided us extraordinary access to information, the ability to communicate and connect um, and, and to share and to contest. We had a very positive narrative previously with the Arab Spring and, and the ability. And obviously, on the ground, it didn't end up as well as we might have hoped at the time. But that's the kind of power of these technologies um, to kind of combat, um, you know, negative governments um, mm. and, and for people to communicate. And I think some people have become a bit uncomfortable about that, particularly when it comes to Brexit or Trump. They don't, they don't like the idea that the internet's been used for uh, political purposes they don't agree with. And I think that's part of, part of what you've got to accept with the yeah. internet. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.